Fast cars, faster girls. It's the groovy 1960s, and go-go dancing is all the rage. Meet Varla. She'd be the girl of your dreams if she wasn't a nightmare. Her and her gal pals are on a collision course with mayhem as they plan a daring heist. Come along for the ride and experience double crosses, double entendres, and double Ds. Dare to see the movie that with every frame urges you faster, pussycat. Kill! Kill! People of Earth of Tension. It's indestructible. It's indescribable. The first satellite creature to impregnate man with its chromosomes. We can now proceed with the next part of our plan. I am not mad. No, no. Join your hosts, Keith and Christian, on a journey to discover lost treasures of cinema. Cheesy special effects, cringe-worthy dialogue, and over-the-top plots. It's an adventure through the depths of so bad they're good movies. Now, strap in and get ready to schlock and roll. That's a great intro. Uh, it's a great setup for this film we have here. This unbelievable gem from 1965. Now, this was your first time seeing it, right? This was definitely my first time seeing it. I knew nothing about this movie. And let me, uh, I guess let's start by playing the trailer so that people can hear exactly what, you know, we, we just saw. If you want one. Ladies and gentlemen, go, go for a wild, wild ride with the Watusi cats. But beware, the sweetest kittens have the sharpest claws. For your own safety, see faster, pussycat. Kill, kill. Wild women, wild wheels. Race the fastest pussycats and they'll beat you to death. Superwoman, Falcon, buckled and booted. <laughs> <laughs> yourself on this kid and hanging it up for nothing for nothing it's got nothing to do with the money she is the money jack and jill they make the mafia look like brownies hey he's a big one ain't he mm. got muscles all the way to his ears yeah ten percent of your action be enough for anyone too much for one man to handle and again you never can tell you girls a bunch of nudists or you just uh short of clothes right now you're first on my list and I always try to talk. You've only got one channel. And your channel's busy tuning in outside. You really should be AM and FM. So who do I get to take care of? The muscle man? You got two of everything. And some left over. You did want. You want it big. Breast or thigh, darling? Why don't you take one of each, son? They uh, both look tender. He's got a big motor to feed. But did you eat bears? My motor never runs out, baby. Oh, hey! Oh, sit down! That's rough. the last time. All right, here's how it works. Everybody's got to go. You name it, we've got it. Faster pussy, hot kill, kill, delivers tons more than the opposition. 
unladylike karate chops, ungentlemanly haymaker, spirited gymnastics, corrective table etiquette, sandbox jousting, or a muscle-bound cat wrestling with a roaring sports car that's intent upon squashing him like a grape. Bizarre kidney and chassis rattling chases, and for the first time on the screen, a haymaking, belly-busting, karate-chopping, judo-flipping fight to end them all. Superwoman against man. The prize, life itself. Slashing, tackling, gouging, hacking, flipping, belting, smashing, and blasting. Muscle to muscle, bone to bone. For an incredible evening's entertainment, a film so totally satisfying, see Russ Meyer's faster pussycat. Kill, kill. Yeah, so that's quite a groovy film, wouldn't you say? Groovy would be the word, I think. Groovy slash gritty. Right. Gritty is a good word for it, too. Especially the one character, Billy. She's quite groovy and quite the right type of character for a 1965 movie. Um, She, in some ways, reminded me a little bit of Goldie Hawn circa laughing. Yeah. You're cute. Like a velvet glove cast in iron. So let me let me uh, read this plot dis- description because we want people to fully understand what this film is all about. So Faster Pussycat Kill Kill came out in 1965 and was directed by Russ Meyer. Uh, the film follows three go-go dancers, Barla, Rosie, and Billy, as they race their sports cars across the California desert and encounter a young couple, Tommy and Linda. After a fight breaks out, Barla kidnaps and drugs Linda. In a small desert town, they stop at a gas station and learn about an old man who is disabled in a railway accident and has a large sum of money hidden somewhere around his decrepit house in the desert. Barla hatches a scheme to rob the old man, and the three women follow him back to the ranch with Linda in tow. At the ranch, they meet an old man, his son Kirk, and Kirk's mentally challenged younger brother, who the old man cruelly refers to as the vegetable. Varla leaves with Kirk, hoping to seduce him into revealing the location of the money. Linda subsequently tries to escape, running into the desert. The old man and his younger son pursue her, and as they catch up, Varla and Kirk arrive. Kirk realizes his father's lecherous nature and vows to have his younger brother institutionalized. They try to take Linda into town in the truck, but the old man says that he has thrown away the keys, and Kirk and Linda set out across the desert on foot. Barla drives back to the house and suggests killing the men and Linda to cover up Linda's kidnapping and the murder of her boyfriend. Billy refuses, but Barla throws a knife into her back as she walks away. Rosie and Barla hit the old man with the car, killing him and revealing the money hidden inside the wheelchair. While trying to retrieve the knife from Billy's body, Rosie is stabbed and killed by the younger son. Varla injures him by ramming him into a wall with her car, but he survives. He drives off in the truck and chases Kirk and Linda into a gully. Varla and Kirk fight hand-to-hand, but Linda hits Varla with her truck, killing her. Kirk and Linda drive off together in the truck. So... Before we move any further, I have a a special guest. A man named Robert Zombie graciously put together an introduction of this movie for us. This was actually originally from TCM, and I thought it would be a great way to introduce it. I mean, this movie has a lot of fans, and Rob Zombie being one of them. Okay, but be careful. I might uh, replace you as co-host. Ooh, I'd like to see you try. (laughs) 
I'm Rob Zombie. Welcome to TCM Underground. Tonight we feature two Russ Meyer classics, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill and Mud Honey. Meyer began shooting film at 15, and it's a state of mind that Russ never quite grew out of and one that served him incredibly well over the years. Russ's father left before he was born, and his stepfather was basically a doormat. His mother, Lydia, however, was a fiercely protective woman, even pawning her wedding ring to buy Russ's first camera, a Univex 8mm. Russ served as an army combat photographer during World War II on the beaches of Normandy and earned a bronze star in the process. Returning home, Russ got work shooting industrial films, but also found success as a photographer shooting spreads for men's magazines such as Gent, Fling, Escapade, and Frolic, and also Hugh Hefner's brand new magazine, Playboy. These magazines led Russ to a series of low-budget nudie flicks, but Meyer's obsession with the female form wouldn't allow him to settle for a simple ogling. You want to prove something, chickies? Let's see who the real chicken is. Some people like to cast Russ Meyer as the godfather of porn, but Meyer despised the hardcore industry and said it was joyless and mechanical. Tonight's first film, Faster Pussycat, is the opposite of smut. The women are tough, strong, and somewhat superhuman in their appearance. The action centers around a trio of renegade go-go dancers. Varla, played by Tora Satana, Varla's girlfriend, Rosie, played by Haji, a favorite of Meyer's, and Billy, played by Lori Williams. A chance meeting with an innocent young couple ends in murder. Varla and her girls drug and kidnap a young girl and hatch a scheme to rob a crippled old man of his money. Not surprisingly, the old man, played by another Russ Meyer favorite, Stuart Lancaster, isn't quite as helpless as he seems. Things quickly descend into a violent spiral of lust and greed that ends, naturally, in tragedy. Faster Pussycat is the ultimate mixture of sex and violence, hyper-injected with a bizarre sense of humor. What makes it so brilliant is that Russ tells the story with a completely straight face. There's no irony here. This isn't kitsch. It isn't camp. This is one man's pure vision. Juvenile, oversexed, and awesome. From 1965, it's Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill. I mean, he sums it up pretty well, and he's definitely a fan of the movie. The the White Zombie song, Thunder Kiss 65, uses a lot of sound bites from the movie. I never try anything. I just do it. Like, I don't beat clocks. Just people. Want to try me? Let's talk about what uh, how this movie was looked at from a critical perspective. Okay, so I have a few critical quotes pulled up here. Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times said... What attracts audiences is not sex and not really violence either. I'm not sure Roger was entirely correct there, but we'll go with it. But a pop art fantasy image of powerful women, filmed with high energy and exaggerated in a way that seems bizarre and unnatural, until you realize Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and Steven Seagal play more or less the same characters, without the bronze, of course. If they did, though, I'd watch that movie. That's That would be a good movie. And, of course, I, I believe this is a review of the re-release in the mid-'90s. 
And Roger Ebert probably Roger Ebert also may be a little bit biased towards this movie. This is true, considering he he wrote uh, another Russ Meyer film, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which I, I believe the only thing he ever wrote. I believe as far so. As yeah, screenplay. I hope at some point we'll talk about that movie too. I mean, it's pretty bizarre, but it's really a lot of fun. I'm sure we'll get to it. Variety said, "Faster, Pussycat, Kill, Kill." I just love saying that is a somewhat sordid, quite sexy, and very violent murder-kidnap-theft Meller, which includes elements of rape, lesbianism, and sadism, clothed in faddish leather and boots, and equipped with sports cars. Some good performances emerge from a one-note script via very good rest my direction and his outstanding editing. I did want to comment on the editing. There is... Yes. That's what I think elevates the film more than anything else, particularly in the scene when he... Uh, when the younger son is fighting against the car, the back and forth there between her t- trying to crush him with the car and him pushing it back. Great editing in that sequence. That in, that in the cinematography too. I mean, when I, I commented in my own review about this, that any exploitation film, great people behind the camera, behind the scenes, not really known for its dialogue or acting. Or writing either. What? Did you say this had bad dialogue? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it was very stiff. Let's say that. I would be very curious to see how they got some of those shots from inside the car. Some of the really low angles that they had. And James Berardinelli from Real Reviews said, Pussycat is classic Meyer. The three leads are all top heavy. The action-packed plot is paper thin. There are loads of double entendres amidst the cheesy dialogue, and the style is pure low budget. This is fun stuff, to be sure, but definitely of the guilty pleasure sort. You're all sure up, aren't you, baby? Do you have any idea what the actual budget was on this? Uh, I believe I read somewhere forty-five thousand. Um, I got IMDb. that sounds right. I got IMDb up. They filmed it in about two weeks. A lot of the budget probably went into getting some of the cars together. I mean, three pretty cool cars. And the muscle cars were one of Meyer's great loves, weren't they? Sounds about right, besides uh, ladies' bosoms. He did seem to to love those. Well, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. There was a, a few times in this movie where the lead character, the main character, Barla, she definitely got me a little hot and bothered a, a few times. I mean, she's she's a very despicable character. She's a very awful person. I truly feel something, some man in her life made her the way she was. Well, I, I think that ties back to the opening scene with them dancing and you see these, for lack of a better term, hideous men. Oh, yeah. I mean, hideous uh, in behavior. Yeah. Well, that's a let's. I think that's a good good time to bring this up. Let's uh, let's go ahead and play the the opening of the film. You want to hear the narration too? Uh, we can do that. I love that narration. Okay. So what we're going to play here is actually the opening narration for the film. It kind of sets things up in an appropriate way. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to violence. The word of the violence. I love that line. While violence cloaks itself in a plethora of disguises, its favorite mantle still remains sex. Violence devours all it touches. I love the waveform lines, too. Rarely fulfilled. Yet violence doesn't only destroy, it creates and molds as well. Let's examine closely then this dangerously evil creation, this new breed, encased and contained within the supple skin of woman. The softness is there, the unmistakable smell of female. The surface 
shiny and silken. Okay, starting to delve into creepy territory. <laughs> Handle with care and don't drop your guard. This rapacious new breed prowls both alone and in packs, operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. Yeah, that's the message, of, <laughs> apparently. Now we're in the go-go club, where we first meet our ladies. Go baby go, the man shouts. And you start they they take on almost hungry animal faces. Tavarla in her car laughing. Almost laughing at the men who have been ogling her. Right. One could say. Yeah, it's... it's, If you wanted to interpret it that way. It's like on stage, they don't have the sexiness that they do when they're... When they have their full agency. Right. Yeah, they they just seem out of place on on stage as go-go dancers. Yeah. My first question for you is, um, what are some of the... What do you think are some of the themes explored in the film? And are they at all relevant today? Well, I do think it is... It bears kind of a bigger question in some ways, because I'm sure at the time, maybe more so now that it's considered a cult classic, it might have been dismissed as like very gratuitous and misogynistic. But I know that a lot of it has a lot of people have sort of embraced it as somewhat of a a feminist film at the same time. So I I think. Um, we're at a disadvantage right now because it would be great to get a uh, female opinion into this discussion. But uh, when has that ever stopped men in the past, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so let's try to mansplain this uh, away. Oy. So I think there there's a question of sexual power dynamics. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is really in control? Um who is the victim? Who is the victimizer? Elements of that. And I think there's a deliberate lack of answers provided. Yeah, especially as as far as like the one question that ran through my mind a lot was why are these women so angry? Now I'll preface that by saying there's the the one character, uh Rosie, she wasn't as she wasn't really the worst of the three. She was there because she was in love with Varla. And so she would do whatever Varla said. But Varla and to 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 a fault. Re- to, exactly. Ultimately to her doom. Right. And, and, but Varla and um what's her name? Uh Billy. Billy. Billy was mostly just kind of there for a good time. Would you like to look under my hood? If I was playing armchair psychologist here which we are. Right. Let's, I would say Varla something must have happened to Varla before the events of the film that made her the way she is. Like, I feel like there's a definite hatred and a distrust for men that 
probably but she, I think she trauma. I think she also shows that towards women too because if you look at how she treats Linda throughout the film you're a very sick girl I was healthy enough a half hour ago or do people look different to you when they're not horizontal yeah I think Linda- there is a there is a cruelty there almost I mean I don't I don't know if there was much as much thought put into this as we're putting into this when the writing was done, but it's almost like she hates what Linda embodies, right? the naivete, the young youth and everything. But you know, where, where she's almost one could argue she's the ditzy character, Mm -hmm. whereas Varla's kind of seen it all. And I also feel as though I feel like Billy as as opposed to Varla, Billy is just pure evil. Billy has a interesting. Side. She's she's out for a good time, but she's also got a sadistic side. She's got a psychopathic side, and I really think that she is just pure evil. That okay? I I I am curious to see what specific um, instances you take from that. To come arrived there. I mean, I guess I thought it was more obvious than than I guess it's coming across. But uh, I mean, she was she's constantly cruel, but she's also she's also very. She doesn't seem as as she seems interested in. And I hate to call him this, but that's just what his name is in the movie, the vegetable. She seems to take a liking to him. She does have a disregard for anyone else's feelings when it comes to getting it what she wants right if she sees something that she wants she goes for it she was you know set to guard linda saw an opportunity to get with the younger son went for it right and just loves a body loves the loves his body doesn't care that he's not the smartest guy and ultimately you know walks all over him or walks all over everyone to just get what she wants so i think yeah you i mean you could easily say that she's i mean easily say because she is knowing his condition she's basically attempting to sexually assault him right sure we talked a little bit about how Varla embodies feminist ideals. Uh, what do you think makes her? Do you think she's an is an iconic figure? Do you think she? She's- Certainly, I think maybe more so than the character itself, Teresaitana is as like she became of the time having an almost iconographic image as much as perhaps Betty Page almost. She did remind me of Betty Page a lot, but just like a meaner version. She became kind of a a blueprint for later movie bad girls. Right. And uh, in a lot of ways, she kind of uh, played the same character a lot of times later in her career. Mm -hmm. So to, to a detriment, she was certainly typecast. But she... She was known at, in a lot of ways, she became bigger than the film herself, that her, her own personality became bigger than the character. I mean, it, whole, I mean, there's a whole documentary about her. I mean, she's since passed away, but a documentary was made about her. So she was somewhat well known. And as far as, it's an interesting dichotomy with the character because she is both um 
both the hero of the movie and the villain. Right. I, I wondered if that made made her fall into an anti-hero category. Like, do we right you or do we hate her? It's a very much a, a kind of a Breaking Bad type scenario where, like, you know, this person's doing evil things, but they the focus, so you kind of want to see them succeed, or at least what they see what they do next. Mm-hmm. I want to play another clip here of the confrontation in the desert with Linda's boyfriend. Right before he gets killed, they get into a fight, and it it kind of shows her anger and lack of caring towards this character. I mean, all he did was exist. All he did was share the same space with her, and and she just she she's not having it. All right, here we go. a lot as he comes charging to the rescue. Three and a half seconds, champ. You were great. What's the matter? The watch. She won't give it back to me. Let's have it. In a way, also making fun of the relationship. You've got a weird sense of humor. Try again. I get funnier. Look, I don't know what the hell your point is, but I don't... The point is of no return, and you've reached it. You can still climb in that kitty car and take a hike, unless you can fight better than you can drive. And then they get into one of the worst on-screen fights I've ever seen. With some of the best threatening dialogue before it. The point is of no return. Right. They're basically just blowing around. That's This is what most fights are actually like, though. The next question I actually had was about subverting audience expectations, particularly with regards to, to gender roles. And I think this is this the clip is an, a good example of it. I mean, that character gets killed at the end of the fight. I mean, she just yes, flat out she kills straight him. up breaks his spine. Right, and what I thought was interesting about that is in 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 our our what we know about Hollywood and the classic story and like the 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 man like I I fully expected him to survive for them to to kidnap Linda try to turn him into the hero right. who rescues yeah, her at right. the end and instead he's he's out he's done like he's he's a perfect example of like that 1965 male bravado just like look yeah you expect his name to be like chip right exactly and instead they just he's gone he's done and they in doing so in such a definite fashion they give varla almost a like superhuman attributes because it's like the onslaught he faces, he can't even cope with it. Mm-hmm. She hits him, and it's like being hit by like Superman. And the and the male figures, excuse me, the male figures in this movie are all weak. They're all they weak. all have weak in weakened conditions. Even the one who is physically strong and is has a mental deficit. Even the even the gas station attendant is is not smart. He's, He's a goofball. A, He's a country bumpkin, if you were. What can I do for you today? Just your job, squirrel. Fill it up. But that also brings me to the character of, quote, the old man. Honestly, I think this guy, who, who this, whoever this actor was, was by far the best actor in the movie. I think that he delivered his dialogue with with skill and perfection. I believe he was the one who actually started as a professional actor before the film. I mean, that makes sense. You girls a bunch of nudists? Or you just uh, short of clothes? Uh, Stuart Lancaster, I believe, was okay. his name. 
I feel like he might be the, the perfect embodiment of what 1965 male figures must have been like. And this one in particular, because he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's He's got a hatred of women. Uh, we learn later that he was injured trying to save a woman. So, he, and he's old, and he's broken, and he's bitter, and he's and he's put so much of his anger and hatred. He's taken so much of that out on his children, on his two boys. And so now he's got this one that you know. For all we know, the the muscle bound one could be quite intelligent, but he's been beaten down by his old man that he's just he's never fully developed. Right, exactly. And the older son is has become basically a doormat to him. Right. And he's got he's got he's got a moral compass. He knows what's right and wrong. But but he also knows that his father is doing things and he's going out of his way not to question it because so, yeah. he doesn't want to know. Well, let's I actually have two clips here I want to play. Let's let's start with this one. This is the introduction to the old man. What's with the strong arm better? Couldn't you tell I was a girl? Ain't no doubt about your Gender, girlie. The question is, what are you doing here? Seems like a week can't go by without somebody messing around. All right, what are you doing here besides trespassing? My girlfriend and I have been driving all day. We thought this was a deserted ranch. Spotted the water tower and we were running a little hot. So we thought we'd take on a little water. We're not used to this desert driving. Interesting shot. Um... Smoke and drive. Even put him in pants. Put him so in pants. A, a Democrat. <laughs> when he starts challenging them on like ideas, Russian roulette on the he brings the shotgun up almost in like a, a phallic image. Mm -hmm. Meet him head on. I've been gone a long time. It shows his dominance for sure. Soon, or what he perceives as what he thinks, yeah. yeah. Well, the other clip that I was gonna play, it almost this clip is almost somewhat bit of comedy in this thing. And it's Linda escapes, she's running through the desert, and she comes across Kirk in his truck and Kirk saves him. Now we've already met Kirk. He's not but Linda hasn't. But Linda hasn't. So we know as the audience that he's no good or he's he's associated with someone who's no good what made me laugh about this scene is he's he doesn't even give her a chance like he doesn't even want to save her he just like wants to know all the details before he can save her and right it, so here we go let's play this Easy now, girl. Easy. You're going to be all right. So who's after you? Heard a cotton pills, maybe? Or, or did your boyfriend make you walk home? He's dead. He's dead. So Just Kirk really doesn't know at this point either that the three the women on the ranch are... Of course I'll help you. Had kidnapped her. Or killers, yeah. yeah. So so this, in a way, isn't... He's not... I guess he's not coming across as... Dumb as I initially thought, but either way, but he's certainly being patronizing as hell, right? Like, why doesn't he just if, like believe her, take her in the truck, and go? He just wants to know every detail. Wait a minute, who are vicious killers? Who are vicious killers? It doesn't matter, just take me away. It's like he doesn't even listen to her. We can stop there. It doesn't even, he doesn't even listen to her. He just, you know, does he believe her? Does he not believe her? It's just, yeah, patronizing is a good word for it. 
mine is of no return, and you've reached it. Would you consider this movie to be um, sexploitation or exploitation? Yes, but I, I don't think it's necessarily just that. I think that I think this movie was probably was marketed as a sexploitation film, but it probably has a lot to do with the fact that it was a Russ Meyer film. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's a movie that actually has no bad language and no nudity. Right. And I I can't recall how much or what amount of nudity there was in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. It has more in common with burlesque. Right. The go-go dancer aspect. The the suggestiveness without going there, which is interesting because Turo Satana was a burlesque performer. Mm -hmm. I I was just curious to see. I, I went to his IMDb page. I mean, this is, he started making movies in 1940, I would say 1959 was the first time he directed something that wasn't a short. Um, And so I'm sure by this point, he's he's had some nudity in his films. I mean, Mudhoney came out before then, and I think that was somewhat sexual. I haven't seen that one, but... um, so I'm sure that his movies up until this point have had some some amount of nudity in it. So I wonder if that was a choice or if it was, you know, maybe it was had to do with the financiers or something. But in a way, it's it's maybe that's the thing that made it so that it's his most well-known film too. Or, or also and what that, gives it that feminist bent because we're not watching it for the TNA. Even though there are, yeah, even though it's very suggestive, right? it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily of the male gaze completely. Mm-hmm. You're wasting yourself on this kid and hanging us up for nothing. For She's got nothing to do with the money. She is the money. Didn't you see the look on the old man's face? I guess let's talk a little bit about the legacy of the film. I mean, we already talked about Rob. Well, it certainly had a a lasting legacy, and you can see its influence on movies like the first one that springs to mind for me would be like Death Proof. Right. And, And Death Proof comes up a lot when I was researching this, and I watched Death Proof after this. Um, Strong women and fast cars, basically. That's pretty much all you need to know, I guess. Uh, But I guess you could say that it has then gone on to influence like the Fast and the Furious franchise, too. Sure. Uh, I did read that um, Quentin Tarantino wasn't at one. I don't know if this is true or when this would have happened, but he was apparently in active development on making a remake of this movie. Which probably then morphed into Death Proof, I would imagine. Most likely, yeah. I would be interested to see this movie remade because i think it could potentially speak to an audience today in especially in terms of like having these strong female leads but we i think that in order to make it today it would have to be a little we'd have to be a little bit more sympathetic to the characters i think we weren't really and to a degree would it lose some of the charm right right and i think that a lot of the charm comes from the fact that it was made in 1965 yeah, what's, what's and I, I think in a lot of ways, Tara Satana's and her costuming, the whole look well, has kind of become an influence culturally across the board. And that's interesting you say that because one of the things that I learned was that uh, 
but is that she legally owned her image and likeness in, from this movie. So whenever Russ Meyer wanted to change the artwork on any of the film's posters or the re-releases or whatever, he had to get permission from her to do so. And he had to pay her royalties. That's a savvy move on her part. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I saw clips of her probably a few years before she died and she's still wearing that that outfit she's still w- pulling that off i i'm interested to see more of her i mean she's got she's she's got a legacy she's somebody well i guess we, i mean we could talk a little bit about her resume she wasn't in too many other films most notably and i think we will review this one sooner rather than later is the extra zombies I had I actually had a couple of clips potentially another guest star guest appearance I should wow. say. So the first clip is uh, Tura Santana and Sue Bernard. Sue Bernard played Linda, and this clip um, I believe was taken from the documentary. It talks a little bit, I guess you could say, method acting, but it's it's talking about her her character's relationship with Linda. Just to give credit where credits due, this is actually on the YouTube um, Horror Cinema Three Thousand. Horror Cinema Three Thousand. I was afraid she was going to karate chop me or something. If I, you know, I don't think Toro ever liked me. I couldn't get any reaction from her. I couldn't get. Um, I couldn't get her to give me what I needed to to bring the part out. You know, so I had to literally make her hate me and i did i scared the living crap out of that girl so yeah so i thought that was pretty interesting she just seems like a really fascinating person uh this clip is from uh an interview with media funhouse looks like it was taken sometime in the 90s so that uh, you just mentioned varla of course your most famous film i mean you've made three exploitation films where you were the featured star and of course faster pussy can kill kill has a major cult on its own like a new look at the film having female fans and male fans? uh no that uh, that was actually the whole premises for that film was a, a female kick butt type thing you know uh it was uh a statement uh basically i think on russ's part uh that females really didn't have to be weak and mild in order to be feminine i mean we were we were feminine even though we were kicking butt <laughs> and then uh and then here's a here's a clip from um this does come from the tour documentary uh one one person who's a notable fan of this movie is john waters and I found this clip. I'm a big John Waters fan. I think he's amazing. And I was very excited to find this clip and have him on our podcast to talk a little bit about tourists. He didn't even know he was coming. That's right. Which is the ultimate phrase to preface John Waters with. That's right. <laughs> I heard about them. I didn't see all them when they came out. I was like 11 or something. You know, my parents weren't taking me to see Eve and the Handyman. I was in high school when I saw it. And I saw it at the drive-in. And I went back the next day and took Divine. And we went every night and saw it for like a week. We went every single night and smoked pot and got high and watched the movie. And um, and I became obsessed by it. And that's how I first knew about Tura. But Russ Meyer I knew about before. But not a lot. I knew about his films. They were nudie cuties and all that. But not in this way. This was a whole new direction. Again, I got to find that documentary. I'd really like to see it. Um, so... 
I guess let me get let me get your overall review of the movie. What did you think? Did you like the movie? Hate the movie? Is it so bad it's good? I think it is beyond so bad it's good. It is a it is definitely has some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard. Uh, some of the best low budget editing that I've seen in a long time. They made use of to work with in a great way. It was, as I said in the intro, it was exactly what it intended to be, which in summation is the greatest film of all time. Until <laughs> next review, which will then be the greatest film of all time. I, my, my comment on the film was that, you know, just like a lot of exploitation films from the 60s and 70s, this movie is filled with amazing camera work, but less than amazing dialogue. The story itself is pretty boilerplate. A gang trying to rob a, who they think is a weaker person. But in this case, it makes the women the heroes. It, it, it turns the tables. And I think because of that, it makes it uh, a, a much more interesting film, especially something that came out in the mid-60s. Tables turn. But the women in this movie truly were, they truly were badass. They got what they wanted. They did what they wanted. I mean, yeah, they the good guy won in the end, but they still... But also, it's interesting because the one who defeats Varla was Linda. Right. Too. It, 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 it wasn't the man. Mm -hmm. And it, in the end, it was Linda who saved herself. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's Well, let's play, so. the, let's play the ending. It looks for a moment like she's going, like she might survive, and then she's mustering up all her will to attack him again, and... No. Nope, she's dead. That's it. And of course, Linda reacts exactly like you expect somebody who survived a traumatic incident to act. You know, it's okay. I killed her. I killed her like she was an animal. Like she was nothing. That is that line. But nothing human. Is an, an interesting um, take because it's like she said, "I killed her like like she was nothing." It's the subversion of the misogynism. Mm -hmm. But no, even though she's the villain, she's not nothing. Yeah, and what I was just about to say was that she basically said, "You know, I killed her like she was an animal. I killed her like she was nothing." But that's exactly the way Barla treated her through how she treated Linda. Yes. Like she was an animal. Like she was nothing. I mean, she was just a pawn. And like, what was mm -hmm. her intent? What was she going to do with her? I mean, she, she was. She I, it was her. almost like she didn't plan it. It was. She was going to throw probably throw her out the car at some point, and when she was done playing with her. I mean, mm -hmm. these these were that's the thing. It's like these were truly despicable women who we end up rooting for in the end, or we we want to root for at least. So I, because they fascinate us, I think it was a surprisingly. No, I'm not going to say a good movie. I'm not going to say a great movie, but I, it was a surprisingly enjoyable movie. It surprised me, and 
how like, much about it did you know going in? Nothing. Nothing okay. at all. I just read the description and thought this is something I got to see. And I kind of knew Amazing it a, title. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of knew it had a reputation. Um, I didn't know some of the connections like the Thunder Kiss 65. But um, yeah, it's uh, definitely a surprise. A good a good film to start the show out on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and a perfect drive-in film as well. You know all that stuff, mm -hmm. all the stuff that the yeah. show represents. Yeah, because you know a lot of people. I I've had people say that I watch a lot of garbage, which I do. Right, but it's also you can even though it's so low budget, and even though it's a lot of them are objectively bad. You can see the love that was put into them. Yeah, you can find the good in anything just because it's just because it was low budget and poorly made. So I think this was a success. This episode, this uh, this review, I think uh, I learned a lot, and and I think we had a great discussion. So until next time, is there anything else? Well, I think say? I think we should uh, encourage people to give their opinions of the movie. Yes, please. If you hate them, especially we, if you hate the movie, if you flat as, out yeah. hate it. You want to tell us we're wrong? We're we're all ears. Yeah. So you can reach out to us at schlock and roll podcast at gmail .com, on Twitter at schlock and roll and on Instagram at schlock and roll podcast. You know all the usuals. Yeah. We'll also put all those links in the show notes. Yeah. So I guess until next time, I'm Christian. I'm Keith. And we just schlocked and rolled. Roll on out. You've been listening to the Schlock and Roll Podcast, part of the Comic Book Noise Network. <laughs> <laughs>